Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that particular chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. All you have to do is be willing to click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. If you choose to do that, you can benefit without any financial cost other than the paper that you print it on. And you can do it over and over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope that you do that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, 
questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd greatly appreciate you doing that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. And or if you're listening through the archives, you can reach out through email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at yagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get a comment or a question or a testimonial or a refutation from you in the mail, we'll address it on the Internet show and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time it was addressed so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. So we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how this is all landing for you. Um, yeah, so we we do a variety of things on this show. We um, we read from different books. We do worksheet processes. We have discussions. We like yesterday have a, a longer-than-normal uh, talk about one particular topic. Yesterday it was the difference between uh, someone establishing a boundary in their life and relationships and uh, what so many people do is um, um, pressuring other people to change or trying to manipulate other people to change. And it sparked um, quite a bit of, um, I don't know if I'd call it upset, but quite a bit of response from people. And that was the primary discussion in the support group last night. Um, Basically, we had other people in the support group who were not on the Internet show yesterday, and so it was a brand new set of inputs and discussion from them and um, I think the primary thing that I wanted to bring out and there might be a whole slew of them that come out but one of the things I wanted to say is that yesterday in the show uh, as I listened back to it I heard if not several at least one or two different references or questions to uh, so Dr. Tim are you saying that this is what's healthy and I just want to be very clear about this I was not making proclamations yesterday about what's good or bad right or wrong healthy or unhealthy Um, and I know that, that just because of the way our culture is set up that's what most of us think is happening when when somebody makes a statement or an observation or raises a question most people think well you know what we're supposed to be doing here is figuring out who's right and who's wrong and what's good and what's bad and and uh, that's not what was intended what was intended is uh, 
lay some ground rules about definitions and meanings of phrases that I use, not what's right or what's wrong, but just what I use so that if I'm communicating with other people, we have a chance of understanding each other. We have a chance of effective communication. Um, if, if I'm not um, clear about my meaning of this word or that word or this phrase or that phrase, and I'm communicating with somebody else and they, they aren't really very clear with me, that's when so many of our contentious and sometimes even um, violent exchanges happen. And um, as I mentioned, it was, it was asked of me at least once, if not two or three times yesterday, well, so are you saying that's what's healthy? And just to be clear, nothing about what I was saying yesterday was to lay down, now this is what's healthy and this is what's unhealthy. It is intended to help us understand that every time we choose a speech, a behavior, an interpretation, etc., it's setting up resonant energies in our world. It's sending out ripples, as it talks about in the course in, in, in the way of mastery. And those ripples are going to interact with the quantum potential and the energy field and the people around us, and they're going to come back toward us. If we set up an energy field and it sends out an energy, it's going to send out a ripple and it bounces off of manifest reality and comes back to us. Um, again, to clarify, this isn't that it's coming back to me to punish me or it's coming back to me to teach me a lesson. It's just going to come back. It's just an energetic universe that operates through the law of resonance. And so what we encourage people to do in this work is get better and better at observing and living in that mode of direct observation, which, as we say over and over again, our experience has been is highly preferable to living from belief, living from dogma, living from doctrine, living with eyes wide open in the present moment. And... Um, Somebody asked last night in the support group, so can you tell me how to do that? And they were pretty frustrated when I said, no, I can't tell you how to do that. That is just a life experience we have to live into. What we can talk about are the consequences of not doing that. We can talk about and we can describe what not doing that looks like. You know, we can talk about what it's like to live from belief or live in a dream. I think I talked in the group last night about a story from Anthony DeMello where he said, um, people ask him, you know, so 
what is it to be awake and, and how do you live awake and how do you wake up? And he said, um, so let me tell you a story. Here was this gentleman, and he was a homeless gentleman, and he was, um, one evening he decided right by the road, underneath a, a, an overpass right near the, the River Thames, he was going to uh, curl up and, and in his little you know, rags and sleep. And just as he was getting comfortable, here come the headlights of a big limo. And it flashes on him and stops. And this wonderful, well, well-dressed well woman gets out, and she goes over to him and he says, My good man, you're not going to sleep out here, are you? And he said, Well, yes, that's all I have. And she said, I won't have it. Get up and get in the limo. And, and so he does, and they get in the limo and they drive to this, very, very large, well-appointed house, and she's got servants, and she goes to her servant and says, make sure that this good fellow has a bath and some fine food and is put in the guest quarters. And he can't believe his good luck, but he goes along with it. He goes and he has a fine meal. He goes and has a bath. He goes and gets his bed clothes on that are provided for him. And just as he's you know, getting ready to crawl into bed, there's a knock on the door. She was in the other part of the house and she all of a sudden remembered him and she said oh I have to go check on him and so she comes in and just her you know her night her um, bathrobe you know night night clothes and she says um, I'm sorry I forgot to check on you how did it go did you get a good meal yes did you get a shower yes oh, blah, blah, blah. it's great and um, he's and she said oh my goodness you know this bed is uh, kind of cold let me let me get in it with you and help you warm it up you know the body heat etc he goes, really? And she goes, yes, just scoot over. And so as he scoots over, he falls into the Thames. He was asleep. It was all a dream. Much of what we believe is upsetting us is all a lie. So we have these guidelines we can use. How, how do I know what's true? I don't know what's true. I know what is. People talk about my truth versus somebody else's truth. We're not talking about my truth versus somebody else's truth. When we talk about truth, we talk about capital T truth. We define that as what actually is happening. Not my thoughts about it, not my beliefs about it, not my interpretation of it, just what's happening. So, now what do I do with that? I just watch. And... As I'm observing directly in the moment and I realize that I'm upset, sad, scared, angry, hurt, guilt-ridden or whatever, I can instantly know three things. Whatever my mind is telling me about why I'm having this negative emotion is a lie or based in a falsehood. The next thing I can know is it's never about what's going on in the moment. It's always an old tape playing. The third thing I can know is, if I sit and spin thinking about this, speak or take an action from it, it's just going to make my life situation worse, not better. It is simply not possible to improve my life circumstances when I think, speak, or act from a negative emotional state. One of the ways I talked about it recently is to say, it's, that's akin to dumping garbage on the buffet table right before dinner time. It's not going to enhance your dining experience. 
So what are we talking about? Are we talking about how to live from direct observation? No, we're talking about the warning signs that our system has built into us to wake us up when we're not living from direct observation, when we're not seeing the truth that life is expanding, that we are a part of that expansion, that our, as Diedrich Wolzak would say, that our value is whole and complete, it's internal, it's unchanging, it is not determined by the things we say or do or the money we have or the relationships we have, and it can't be injured, wounded, damaged, broken in any way. So, how do I do this? I just go live my life and I use questioning. I use the warning signs. What are the warning signs? Any negative emotion, any tension. Any, Michael Rice likes to talk about how pain is a very useful part of our life experience. Its purpose is to make our ears grow. So we listen, we pay attention to what we are engaging in, what we are doing that might be, as he likes to talk about, is off the mark, is energy that doesn't belong in our system, etc. And in that process, we are not talking about what's healthy, what's right, what's wrong. We're talking about learning to live in observation. Do I like the results of the choices I'm making moment to moment? Do I like how I feel when I choose this interpretation of life over that interpretation of life? Do I like the concept that I'm creating my own emotions and therefore if I'm experiencing an emotion I don't like, I have the power I have the authority, I have the wherewithal to change it. Maybe I don't like that. Maybe I want somebody else to be responsible for and choose my emotions, and I'm not going to be comfortable living into the realization that I'm the one creating what I'm experiencing. Okay, but then I can create the experience of being a victim. And then the question arises, do I prefer that experience? Do I prefer how my life unfolds as I live from the belief and the created experience of being a victim? This isn't about, well, is that bad? Is that wrong? Is that unhealthy? Am I unhealthy? Are you healthier than me? This isn't about comparing myself to anyone else. This is about getting some clarity First, you know, clarity in how I experience it myself and think and speak about it, but then also clarity about how I talk about this with others. And that was the heart of yesterday's discussion on the Internet show was not what's right, what's wrong, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, but here's what I mean when I talk about relationships. How does that line up with or about uh, boundaries and, and in relationships, and how does that line up with what you mean and when you use these words as you talk about relationships and boundaries? Because if we aren't, aren't even understanding the meanings for the words we're using and the phrases that we keep repeating, there's little chance 
that we're going to end up in harmony and we're going to be able to be respectfully communicating with each other or even effectively communicating with each other. So 563-999-3581. The day before yesterday on the Internet show, I was reading from the book Choose Again by Diedrich Wolzak, and it just so happened that in that show, the timing fell out that that one show contains the entire section on describing his six-step worksheet process from the book Choose Again. And if you want a refresher, it's in the archives. If you didn't hear it, it's in the archives. And it is there now to serve as a, a resource for people because, as I mentioned, I've had at least one person complain to me that they, they were not able to easily find on the Diedrich Wolzak Choose Again website the list of the six steps in his Choose Again process. And area code 541, you're in the air. Good morning, Dr. Tim. This Hello. is Selinda. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Um, I uh, was listening to your show yesterday. I was delighted in the interchange between you and your caller. And I just wanted to share something that has been helpful for me getting clarity and for doing my best to live in the question and, and live by observation. And as you two were talking and attempting to communicate with each other with a mutual understanding, even though your words might be different, um, I flashed on some a technique that has helped me uh, lately a lot. And that is there is the ego's definition of time, which is uh, past, present, future. And there is the... Um, the actuality, which is the ever-present now. And if I can remember that when I'm in a conflict with someone and that also past-present now is always a measuring uh, and it ends up being a progress and that living in the ever-present now is a process which is ongoing, that has nothing to do with comparison or measuring, uh, that really helps me stay in the middle. And I And I felt right in the middle between... Um, your and your caller's attempts to clarify between you a common meaning, and um, I thought, yeah, um, I can I can see what the caller was saying because I have I'm in that situation very often of where I'm this and that, you know, I feel both of those, and then I can get some clarification from that and realize, well, am I part of me, part of my reality is in progress because it's enmeshed in past, present, future, and part of me is in process because it's the ever-present now. And I ran across a little ditty that I think um, helps clarify that for me, and that is um, we all, there, the choice is always ours. The choice is always here. The choice is always ours. It's either love or fear. 
And so I thought I'd just share that with you. It's been a little mantra for me since I ran across it. All right. Um, it, it certainly, uh, um, it, the, the idea of the now, the present moment, is very much in alignment with the idea of living from direct observation. So we're, you know, we, or we might use a whole different set of words or lighter, fewer or more words. That's what's most important. And the idea that Course in Miracles comes to over and over again is there's either only love or fear. And in, in an, an absolute sense, there is no fear. It's just a choice to use the energy of creation that some would call love to create the experience of vulnerability, tightness, contraction, etc. And that doesn't make any sense to our conscious logical minds. How could there be only love or fear and then really there's only love? Wait a minute, you just said there's love or fear. So, you know, like we talk about from the Christian Sundberg book where they mention when you ex- you encounter something that seems to be a conflict or a paradox, that's an indication that what you're experiencing in that moment is a partial observation. It's not the whole picture. If you could see the whole picture of life, there would be no conflicts, there would be no paradoxes, because the universe is just in its expansion. It's in this life force energy creating. It is in love, extending love, with, you know, all these different phrases you can use for it. So um, anything you do to move yourself from love to fear, as Course in Miracles would say, is the experience of a miracle. Right? That's all that's happening when we say this is miraculous. Well, of course, in miracles that say all that's happening here is someone's made a choice for love over fear in that moment. And it isn't really truly miraculous any more than all of existence is miraculous. That's why I like this uh, song by John Mayer, uh, Peter Mayer so much. Has Peter Mayer, not John Mayer. And Peter Mayer has a song titled Holy Now. And I've read the lyrics on the show before. And essentially it's just saying that everything is holy and everything's a miracle. It's a wonder that we have the ability to exist at all. Our very nature is this miracle of life extending in form. The miracle of our consciousness is, you know, in and of itself, beyond what our conscious, logical mind can comprehend. So, what filter are you going to put on your view of the world? And the invitation is, put on the filter that says, even if I can't be grateful for everything that shows up in my life, I can always find something to generate gratitude about. And watch how your life changes 
if you step into that choice. So, do you have any other comments or questions or statements or observations you want to share with us or assistance in outlining worksheets that you might be trying to uh, benefit from? I have a smile on my face for your um, expansion of my thought, and I really appreciate that. And also... Um, I have a little, another little expression that uh, I use to try to keep me into the middle path of this and that, and that is living in the paradox, uh, coming to realize little by little exactly what you said, that I'll never know the whole truth and nothing about the truth, and maybe this thing that I'm looking at that I so um, I'm so resistant to has exactly one little kernel of truth for me that I need to open up to um, make some space for so that I can uh, use it um, and to to build my community with this situation, this nature, or this person, and also that um, I just. I, I learn to live from the observation and asking and to be shown. And so that helps me too. When I say living in the paradox, I mean exactly what you said of, of just walking in the middle between this and that and allowing that both this and that has some truth for me, if not a whole bunch of it. So thank you so well, much. You're very welcome. And the other thing is that just this once I recognize that what I consider a real irritant, a real something that shouldn't be here, my pain, my anger, my fear, my hurt, once I realize that that's just a part of the system that we're given as our guidance system, and it's just there to help me understand I'm headed in the wrong direction or I'm focused on a few tiny bits of the whole of creation, that aren't really relevant in the moment or that I'm focused on the very important bits of the moment, but I've chosen an inaccurate interpretation. It's my alarm system to let me know when I'm either headed in the right direction or I'm way off the mark. So in that case, I can actually be grateful for my upset. You know, the Pema Chodron work I was referencing in the past couple of days is, uh, talks about how you drive all blames into yourself and you recognize that when your mind is telling you that you're upset because Juan or Juanita, X, Y, or Z person outside of you, isn't doing what they should or is doing something they shouldn't, that it's never the truth. It's just that your something dynamic within you is off the mark and you're hiding it from yourself by following your thoughts about how somebody else is causing your upset. And this is that Buddhist teaching about drive all blames into one, which basically means dismissing blame, understanding with, with being gentle towards yourself that this is not about that blame is never a useful tool. 
And so when you recognize that that's happening and is part of your process, you simply breathe and soften, do a practice like Tonglen, which is to breathe the negative experience of that energy into you for yourself and everyone else, and then purify it with this thought of, you know, what they call bodhicitta, which is what Michael Rice would call the active, conscious, active, present love, awareness of your true nature as love. And when you build into that and breathe into that, you are going to change your experience of life. And then you breathe that out, that loving energy out, and extend it out for everyone and everything. That's the practice of Tonglen. That's not exactly what we're taught in this culture. You know, we're taught if you're upset, that means someone or something outside of you is doing something wrong, and you should either attack them or run away from them or bribe them or seduce them to try and get them to change or punish them for what this horrible thing is they're doing to you. And that's not productive. That's why all of these deep spiritual teachings that talk about being aware of your creating your own life experience inside yourself are so similar. So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to be enraged because so-and-so just backed their car into mine and then left without you know, giving me their insurance information or paying me for it or whatever, I'm going to wake up and recognize, oh, I'm generating a lot of upset over some bent metal. Or I'm generating a lot of upset over some thought that someone just did something seriously wrong to me and my essence and my nature. And this is not, this can't be right because I'm not happy. <laughs> Diedrich Wolzak said that, you know, Diedrich Wolzak said that in his, you know, six-step process. He said, I, I'm, I hope I'm wrong here because I'm not happy. I hope I can find another way to look at this situation that is that that leaves me feeling connected to my source, the joy of life, the bliss state, whatever you want to call it. He says, you know, this is your birthright. Well, we aren't taught that that's our birthright. We're taught that this is a dog-eat-dog world and... You know, people are out to get you, and you got to protect yourself, and you got to fight for what's right, and you got to fight to protect your own, and and you can do that. People have done it for centuries. It is what's led to all of the wars we've experienced on the planet. So you can certainly do that. And all we're calling people to in this work is to observe what are the consequences. Do I prefer my life when I do that? And if not, how can I choose something else? Well, a practice like the Reality Management Worksheets is something else. A practice like Tonglen from the Buddhist tradition is something else. And, you know, you keep trying something. If, if you're intelligent, you know, if you're, I would say one of the definitions for intelligence is that you keep trying different things until you find something that works. Just like, you know, it's a, corollary to that statement about the true definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results not liking the results but continuing to do it again anyway 
So I hope that's clearing things up. We're not here saying this is what's true and this is what's healthy and anybody who doesn't do this is unhealthy. We're just trying to clear up what's the difference between living from a belief and living in direct observation. And how can I start to make clear assessments within myself about what I prefer? Do I prefer the results when I live from belief or dogma or doctrine? Or do I prefer the results when I live from direct observation? And each of us gets to choose what do we prefer and how are we going to use the very powerful energy of creation that we call thought or mind energy, the way Michael Rice talks about it. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, people say, well, you know, at the end of the show yesterday, Michael was talking about, are we gods with G-O-D-S, meaning we are gods ourselves and we are the creator, or are we a part of God? Do we belong to God? Do we belong to the creation? Are, are we possessed by the nature of the creator and we're in, in you know imbued with this power of creation from a source that's greater than us well you know one real clear way to talk about this in these works whether it's christian sunberg's work a walk in the physical that's his book title or diedrich wolzak's work with choose again or way of mastery or the Course in Miracles, a very simple way to talk about it, a very direct way to talk about it is our mind energy, our thought process is a creative force and it is always on and that's the one thing we never have any choice about. We do have a choice about where we direct that energy. Do we direct it towards something that generates hostility and fear? Upset, grief, judgment, contraction, guilt, shame, blame, vengeance or do we direct it towards thoughts that extend our true nature that energy of creation expressing in form some call it love and that's the only real choice in these deep spiritual teachings that any of us have everything else is just playing in the kingdom playing in a big sandbox of impermanence and change the only thing that doesn't change is our true nature so hopefully that sparked some thoughts or comments or questions from either you Celinda or anybody else on the call well I'm smiling again because I was blessing everyone and blessing everyone um that's a part of this Aramaic gospel work we're doing and even farther beyond those who are actually living the Aramaic gospel may not even know it. I'm also in blessing my intelligence and my belief systems because um, since our thoughts create our belief systems and our belief systems drive our intentions which drive our goals which create our experience, I can see that web of connection between all the parts of myself. It's like 
the what you were reading in the way of mastery on the the fleck on the foam of the wave of one ocean one sea uh and uh, that I'm all of the above and I'm a co-creator I co-create with life and uh that just brings um real brings joy and brings this uh, a loosening of what I um, downloaded, which I have to be perfect, and if I'm not perfect, I'm worthless, and I uh, deserve punishment, and all of those. So it's like going going back to source in a way. It's a it's a sweet process I'm experiencing now, and thank you so much. Even being willing to uh, accept my negative emotions without judging myself. Or blaming others, not throwing either myself under the bus or the other under the bus, which is kind of my definition of um, altruistic self-interest, which was Hans Seeley's definition of his understanding of how best to live life. So it's all coming together in this beautiful enfoldment, and I just am very grateful all around. So thank you. You're very welcome and deserving, and I, you know, some of what you're saying uh, resonates with me that one of the reasons that I really like and, and listen to the Pema Children books on rotation is because she speaks so clearly about being soft and gentle with oneself. Yeah, we're going to have these times where we're upset and we're triggered and we think this and that and we want to rage other people. She tells the story of being at this um retreat and a retreat center and at the retreat center then this, this is she's a buddhist now right so she's a buddhist monk and um and some you know significant standing there and years of teaching etc and so she's there and in this retreat center they have um everybody's responsible to clean up their own stuff and to um aid in that process everybody's plate and cup and silverware is labeled with their name and um pema tells the story about how she was there and she was having this very very lovely meditative experience and really you know tapping into her true nature and all this wonderful bliss stuff and then she goes into the common area and she notices that somebody has left their dishes out and they haven't done their dishes. And she instantly in her own mind knows who it is because there's this person there that she knows that is just so full of herself and she thinks she's beyond needing to do her dishes because she thinks she's holier than thou, etc. And she's got herself completely ramped up by the time she walks across the kitchen to see whose stuff it is. And she gets there and it's her stuff. It's Pema's dishes. And, and and in that moment, if she goes to beat herself up, she's creating more turmoil and more disruption. In that moment when she can say, ah, there we are, we're all the same. Look at what I can learn from this and soften and breathe. Then she makes a a step in the right direction. But we're all like that. Somebody, I forget who was on the um, support group last night, that said something about, you know, 
all of my education and all of my training or whatever. And I said, you're missing the point. None of my education and training is worth anything in terms of keeping me from getting triggered. There has no value in this work. The only value in this work is that if and when I get triggered, I use the tools. There's, there's no degree I can ever get that will protect me from my, my stuff. And we talked about how, again, that was a, an, a situation in the support group last night where somebody was basically, without even recognizing it, because of the cultural training, trying to put me on a pedestal. And that's not a useful thing to do at any level with any person. What we're talking about here is the only significant difference between you and any person that has ever lived or will ever live on this planet is the degree to which you and or they can live in the full direct realization that we're all the same. What did he say? The only difference is that we're all the same? Yes. The only significant difference between you and anybody who has ever lived or will ever live on this planet is the degree to which you can live in the realization that we're all the same. Everything else is just... It's, it isn't a paradox. It's not a paradox. I if know. you think it's a paradox, it's, I, I know. I know you're kidding and joking and throwing that back, which is good. But it's the idea that when I see it that way as a paradox, it means I'm only looking at a tiny bit. What tiny bit am I looking at? I'm looking at my ego thought. I'm looking at my conscious logical thought. And <laughs> yes, that's I how I have take that okay. tiny little slice and make it mean everything to me. Well, when I say I live in the paradox, I'm, I always have tongue-in-cheek because it's exactly what you say, but it's a it's a nice little way to bring me back to center. Yeah, I love it. <clears throat> I remember one time listening to Pema Chodron and she, on one of her tapes, and she said she had a six-year-old grandchild, and, and she took the grandchild for a week to to be with her, and they were on vacation or something, and and she said by the end of the week, she found herself just kind of yelling at the six-year-old child. And she, and she turned to the six-year-old child. Now, now this is when she was a, a Buddhist monk already. She said, now, honey, just remember, this conversation is between you and me. And then she laughed. I just thought that was cute. It was about how human we are. Yeah, she has that woven through her work and that when we recognize that we're just, you know, tripping over ourselves or our ego, rather than beating ourselves up over it, we're gentle with ourselves about it. And we step into some kind of a practice to dismantle it, whether it's the Michael Rice worksheets or you know, uh, Byron Katie's work or Diedrich Wolzak's work, we step into a process. We don't let our conscious, logical rationalization about how we have every right to be angry and this person really did do this to it. We don't let that run the day if we're interested in making a change for the better. We actively work to dismantle 
every excuse we have to be negative, to be angry, bitter, hurtful, resentful towards ourselves or anybody else. Because why would I do that? Because as Guy Finley says, if I don't do that, I will be able to rationalize any level of abuse. Any level of abuse. If I don't actively work to steal from myself every excuse to be negative, angry, bitter, hurtful, resentful, my ego will say, it's okay. Right? Kill them all and let God sort it out. And, and think I'm, that's a loving thing. My ego could think, oh, yeah, that's loving. Hang them all. Shoot them all. They deserve it. It's for their saving. own good, etc. I'm saving their soul. Yeah, yeah. It's been done on this planet for thousands of years. Just like some people can rationalize, hey, you know what? Slavery was um, bad, but um, it wasn't as bad as dying. So, you know, we, we actually did these people a favor by enslaving them. And, and, and we were able to help them learn some skills that they wouldn't have learned otherwise. There's, if we don't actively steal from ourselves every excuse for being negative, we will be able to rationalize any level of abuse. And like I, I, I found myself saying not too long ago, um, if I, my new definition for being stuck is that anytime I have a negative thought active in my mind or a negative emotion active in my mind, I'm stuck. My new definition for being hopelessly stuck is I'm arguing for my right to have my negative thought or emotion. And that's what Guy Finley's talking about. And that's what Pema Chodron talks about. And that's what Diedrich Wolzak talks about. And that's what Dr. Michael Rice talks about. And Course in Miracles and Way of Mastery talks about. So That's been very helpful for me also. Thank you. You're welcome and deserving. Any other comments or questions? We have... Uh, I don't know, eight or nine minutes left. Five six three Well, I'm I'm letting them have the opportunity. They're 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 Great. more than welcome to press one and raise a hand. Great. And this is a Wednesday, so there won't be a support group tonight, but it does mean there will be one tomorrow. And. Um, no telling what we might get into, but I did talk a little bit about how yesterday was basically an extension of uh, the discussion on the Internet show from yesterday. And um, like Michael likes to say, every time anybody asks a question, it helps all of us discover more about ourselves and more about any process that might keep us stuck. And even if it seems like it's the most basic of questions. I I like the 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 stuff that comes out in Course in Miracles, Way of Mastery, uh from the Tao Te Ching. If I'm 
if I get to the point where I think, well, I'm so advanced, I don't need to do that basic meditation anymore or my basic prayers, or I don't basically, you know, the, the stuff that I, I did in the beginning of my spiritual growth, I'm way off the mark. I'm kidding myself. I've just put myself at the other side of the universe from where I say I want to be. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole point of Dr. Michael Rice's talk where he talks about, you know, the circle of life and how to play it. You need to understand where you are actually and where you want to go. Because if you think you're more advanced than you actually are, you can't ever make any progress. If you think you're on the rungs of a ladder, a hundred rungs to uh, enlightenment, and you think you're on rung 98, but really you're on the rung 57, whatever you think you're going to be doing to move you towards enlightenment isn't going to work. It's like being, um, deciding you're going to take a trip and you'd like to go to Alaska. And so you go to your local AAA and you say, I'd like, you know, I'd like a, a series of maps, the triptychs they used to call them, for how to get from where I am to Alaska. They say, okay, where are you? Well, I'm in New York. And they give you the triptychs to get from New York to Alaska. And you walk out the door in New Mexico and try to follow those instructions. You're never going to get there. If you're not able to see clearly, this is like uh, Susan Bingham said something about um, one spiritual teacher said, you know, if you think um, that you're better than somebody, you're probably better off going out and uh, committing a bunch of robberies and getting thrown in prison. Well, uh, I'm fairly certain he wasn't recommending that people go break laws or hurt other people. I'm fairly certain he was reciting this principle. He was saying, if I think I'm better than somebody, I'm in error. If I think I'm better than anybody, I'm in error. And from that position of error, I can't move forward towards a better life or enlightenment And that's just that's just how the system works. So you don't really need to go and you know commit some robberies and get thrown in prison. You can just wake up to the fact that when you think you're better than someone, you're in the game of comparison. And Guy Finley says, most of your pain and suffering in life is the bitter fruit of a comparative life. Whenever you compare yourself to anybody, it's a mistake. And and that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just means it's going to have certain consequences, and you're probably not going to prefer them. It's probably not going to take you where you say you want to go when you say, 
I want to know God. I want to be enlightened. I want to have a bliss state. I want to spread love in the world, etc. You're not going to get there if you think you're better than anybody else. So, uh, it's basically our time for today. We've got just another minute or two, but I'll mute you, Celinda, so you can listen in. Thank you for your comments and questions and statements. And um, I will um, put the call out again for anybody who knows somebody that might benefit from joining us in our support group tomorrow night. A little bit of advance notice. You can get them the information. It's available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. Please remember there's a separate info page for Tuesdays and Thursdays. There's two separate login info days or information pages. And um, and that's what we've got for today's show. Um, uh, barring any people wanting to discuss different things, we'll probably get back into the book by uh, Diedrich Wolzak for tomorrow and Friday. His book is titled Choose Again. And the archives from the day before yesterday have the entire six-step process from that book if you're interested. I will... Uh, as usual, uh, ask people to consider joining us tomorrow and Friday on the Internet Show and tomorrow in the support group. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff that we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Wednesday, October the 4th, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in. We're in just a little bit early. I'll tell you that um, he has another interview this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And we have created it. The page has already been out there, but you may not have gone out and listened to it or whatever. It's under the Watch and Listen for Free, and there's a section that is uh, on radio and TV interviews and downloads. And so you can go there and click on them and, and listen. There are several of them out there. And we will be adding, uh, he did an interview a couple weeks ago with uh, this lady, and he's doing another one this afternoon. And he's actually, the one this afternoon is a walkthrough of the worksheet, the forgiveness process, and uh, is like, he has a PowerPoint presentation attached to it. It's only going to be 30 minutes long. And so we will have that out on our YouTube channel, and it will also be on that uh radio TV interview page that we have on our website. And so we're putting a lot of things out there. Um, make them, you know, use them. 
they're available to you for free, and we invite you just to put the tools to work in your life. I did talk to India yesterday, and that was a challenge. He writes English a whole lot better than he speaks it, and I had a really challenging time standing exactly what he was saying. But we have started the addition to uh, get the app on on Google up to date with the newest Android. It's a requirement from Google. And it looks like it's going to cost about $250 to make this one change to just get it up to date. So if uh, you're interested in supporting us for that, yes, the app is still free. Um, there wasn't the option to make any change to it right at this time. I know Susan had suggested that we put it out there for even if it's $1.99 or something like that to, to get a little revenue from the app. Um, we didn't make that change. However, it is going to cost us $250 just to uh, get it up to date. And so if you'd like to donate uh, to help cover that cost, it would be appreciated. You know, we're coming up to the end of the year, and it's funny. It's like not really ha-ha funny, but just weird funny that at the end of the year you get all of the maintenance fees, uh, taxes, property taxes, and then Christmas is in there. So it's like, okay, everybody wants their little bit of a dip at the end of the year, I guess. So your help would be appreciated. Uh, you can either go to the donate page on our website and click donate. And, you know, speaking of the end of the year, too, if you make a donation and you need a tax ticket for that, please drop me a line at genie, at org, and let me know so that I can issue that for you. Uh, it's uh, We're a 501c3, and so it is um, deductible on your taxes. And so if you need that paper to cover that, then um, just let me drop me a line and let me know, and I will get that to you. And See if Michael is in it. He is. Welcome, Michael. He is. We already have a hand up. He is in the house. Well, that's awesome. Let's say hello to the hand. Okay, and it may be leftover from Dr. Tim. I'm not sure. Five four one. You're on the air. Is this by chance, Celinda? Hello, five four one. Are you with us? Maybe they've stepped away the from the phone on my for a phone. second. If it is, it is Celinda's number, and she was talking to Dr. Kim, so she may have stepped away after she got through speaking with him, and she may just be listening. Okay, well, I wish we could say hello to her, but we'll let it go for now. So welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. I have uh, really enjoyed some of the questions and interaction that have been happening the last few days. It always makes the show a whole lot better to have a conversation with a real live person with real live questions and issues and things going on. I was talking to someone this morning. It's interesting how deeply denial works in the mind. And I was talking to doing some work with a woman who is in the process of a divorce and has a husband that has some uh, propensities that are, what can I say, traumatic for the family and in a divorce process. 
And so the question came up, so with this kind of abuse going on, have you ever, you know, other than in that situation, have you ever had any kind of issues with men abuse such things? And her instant answer was no. And it was interesting to watch because literally her face, the instant the question was asked, her face went into a scrunch, literally like the the lines in her forehead, the lines in her face, like they all just crossed up at once, like almost like a screen was being put up by her skin in front of her face, just total shutdown. And it was like, uh, well, really? Oh, well, yeah, well, when I was a kid, my, my brother sexually abused me. But literally with a... You couldn't say with a straight face because literally it just, it was like watching, you know how a screen is woven together in two directions. It was like watching all of the skin on her face go into a wrinkle position that just created this dramatic shield in front of her. And of course, her best stopped. So it's just interesting how the mind can block things out. And then the difficulty of recognizing that, well, here I am 40 years later, or maybe not quite that many, in a situation with some abuse going on, and the difficulty of recognizing that one has something to do with the other. And I shared with her what, what we shared on the show before, the, uh, the research has been done more than once in prisons where they do the reverse of a lineup. Instead of putting the criminal in the lineup, they bring, just bring people off the street into a lineup. And the people who are on the other side of the you know, one-way glass are selecting as criminals, who it is out of that lineup, you know, there are six people up there, which one would you attack? Who would be your mark? Who would you steal from? Who would you, whatever your crime propensity is? And I don't remember exactly the numbers, but it was something in the range of about 80% of them always picked the same person. They say, that just seems a little extreme, Michael. Well, let's go back to the conversation we were having with Terry last week. And we were talking about quantum physics and Marcel Vogel's Delamore camera with which he could take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think of and recognize that everything you hold within you, everything I hold within me, every frequency from all time, Every energetic pattern from every generation of my bloodline is stored holographically within me. And the, the simple fact that everything is energy, and by definition, energy is motion. Wherever there's motion, there's an energy wave. So it doesn't matter if it was an abuse situation that happened when I was you know, uh, let's take it even further back. When I was in utero and it was with mom, that energetic pattern is stored within me. And if it is an energy that is of a dis-ease nature, 
than as I walk down the street of the city, you know, walking past, you know, 100,000 people. Of those 100,000 people, there are only 10 who have any energetic pattern in them that relates to the specific type of pain or trauma energy that I'm holding. There are only 10 out of 100,000. Guess which 10 are going to turn their head toward me? Well, Michael, why? Now, come on, that's silly. No, it's not. Just take a look. Let's imagine I have an array of 100 tuning forks standing on a device in a semicircle in front of me, and I take a middle C tuning fork, and I hit it hard on the desk, and I put it right in the middle of all of these tuning forks. There are 100 tuning forks in front of me, but only one tuning fork moves in response to that middle C tuning fork. Which one is it? The middle C. It's going to be the tuning fork that matches energetically. And so there are no accidental meetings in our world. My take after, you know, better than 50 years of doing this work and observing, watching, watching, observing, my take is that life abhors us destroying ourselves. Life abhors our self-inflicted nonsense, sin, S-I-N, because it is what destroys us. There is no punishment for sin. Remember, sin is an archery term that in the ancient Aramaic, where the whole concept is rooted, it's an archery term. If you were on the archery range and you fired at the target and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell, sin. It is the present, and all, all the word means is off the mark. When I put an energy that's off the mark in me, I put a frequency in me. And if that frequency is of a disintegrative nature, if it's off the mark for the purpose and function of my physiology, then there is sin stored within my physiology. The purpose of life is to heal us. So that life is set up through a process of resonance. That's the basic underlying energetic principle behind everything that happens is resonance. So if I have a particular energetic pattern in me, I have a frequency. Anybody in Dodge that has a matching frequency though they may not allow it to come to conscious awareness. They not, may not be cognizant of why they turned their head in my direction, but they're turning. Because energy creates motion. I put a middle C tuning fork in front of a second middle C tuning fork, and that second tuning fork starts to vibrate because of resonance from the motion in the first tuning fork. So one fork in motion through resonance creates motion in the second one. If I have two baby grand pianos and I have the back of the pianos open and I go over to one and I pound out a good loud middle C, 
I can go over to the other piano and look at the hundreds of strings that are inside of that piano, and the only ones that are going to be moving are the ones related to middle C. Resonance creates motion. Now, of course, we're not going to see one of those pianos get up and climb up and get on top of the other one. But in the human realm, that's exactly what we see. We see it creates motion toward. In the inanimate realm, it's just an exchange of information. And the activity in one location causes every other location with a similar frequency to go into activity. But we're mobile creatures, and we move. And we move toward the energetic patterns, and those who hold those energetic patterns move toward us. So especially if you see yourself, you know, you could say, well, a one-off. It happened once. It's, you know, it's just a coincidence. You, you could say that. There, there's no such thing as coincidence, but you could say that. But when you've been through it two, three, four, ten times, You've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. Sooner or later, you've got to start to wake up and say, I'm going through this again. And I'm the only one that's been here every time. Sooner or later, you've got to give up the ancient, ancient, ancient religion of flame. And you've got to start to address and talk about the dis-ease energies within yourself rather than talk about the person who can resonate or cause motion in the dis-ease energies within you. So when those energetic patterns go into motion, when someone is in motion toward us, Taking the geographic here, if you haven't noticed, doesn't work. Ownership of whatever is moving within you and then the application of forgiveness and remembering that forgiveness has not to do with me letting you off the hook for what's moving inside of me. Forgiveness is a strictly 1,000% internal process where if there is an energy moving in me, i.e., I'm in some kind of pain, I utilize the technology to locate the root, the source of that pain, and I route it out of me. In the first century Aramaic language, that tool was called forgiveness. The Greeks turned around and they substituted the Greek idea of pardoning for forgiveness. So most everybody's running around, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. So what's the logic of me letting you off the hook because there's pain moving in me? Is there any universe in which, when you really sit down and think about it, that really makes sense? Except that if someone resonates or causes motion, sets up a field that causes motion inside of me through resonance, and I'm in denial of what's moving in me, 
then what happens is I literally build the perceptual constructs of my mind out of what's happening in me. But seeing as how I'm focused on you, I build a picture of you out of it. And then, because I can see that that pain energy has to do with you, I can be comfortable in my denial, believing that even though I've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people, that it really is all about you. So the magnificence of the forgiveness technology that was developed over 2,000 years ago is stunning in that what it does if it is consistently and persistently applied is it causes the constructs of the mind which are not but reflections of the content massaged to look like something outside of me when I apply forgiveness that content, that picture, that generated image, that construct called perception collapses. Recognizing that when it collapses, you now have access to the underlying energy. It's time to stop the denial. It's time to stop thinking and speaking as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me. And when something is moving inside of me that I'm being warned is of a disintegrative nature, is literally sin, is an energy that's off the mark, how do I know that? Because there'll be pain. So if something's moving in me that's causing me pain, then what I want to do is learn to focus on, look inside, and find the energetic pattern behind the pain, rather than build images of everybody else out of it so I can pretend that it's all everybody else's fault. When I become proficient at collapsing perceptions based in corrupt data, what is corrupt data? In the human realm, you know, it's, it's the same dynamic as in your computer. If you've got a file you're working on and you're working away and you're working away, maybe that file, and I'm thinking back to a time when I, I had a, a document that I've been working on for about two years, and all of a sudden I get this message that the file is corrupted. And I can't make head nor tail sense, utilize that work was gone once it was corrupted. All I got out of it was gobbledygook. It was totally, completely useless. Hostility and fear are nothing but signals that are saying your mind at this moment is using corrupt data. And what you're getting out of your mind when you're in hostility or fear even though you've got a great big convincing story about it, is gobbledygook. And what you want to do in those situations where there's pain is you want to learn to collapse the projections of your mind. You know, in the ancient teachings, they said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. 
Now, if you listen to most everybody who's a card-carrying member of the One World Religion of Blame, they'll say, no, I need to take care of the other guy because it's out of them that is the issue in my life. Now, you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. It's about you. It's not about them. So the genius of Yeshua 2,000 years ago showing us how to collapse those false constructs of the mind. And, you know, if you imagine them dropping into their own footprint, you know, it's kind of a negative situation, but there's a visual that virtually everybody in the world has. And that is, most will remember, watching the towers on 9-11 that just dropped right into their own footprint. Perception is a construct of the mind, much like those towers. And when you cancel the goal that's driving the perceptual output of your mind, that construct, just like that building, collapses in on its own footprint. Now you've got access to the underlying energy behind that construct. That's when you can start making progress toward removing the patterns of your life, of your family system, of your cultural system, and literally remove those patterns from your genes. As you do that, you will be removing suffering and death from your life. You remember in the Aramaic, if we listen to it in the Greek, they translated the words, but then gave a totally different meaning to the key word in the phrase. It said the wages of sin is death. Like that's some kind of theological threat. God's going to get you for your sins. No. No no such thing is even remotely true in the actuality as it exists. That there's some kind of cosmic punisher out there that wants to get you for what you've done. Again, by putting a disintegrative energy into a cell, we create the disintegration of the cell. We are not punished for, but by those energetic patterns we engage in that don't belong. That's why forgiveness becomes so important. And it's not about, you know, I've been forgiven. You know, you'll oftentimes see in a car a bumper sticker says, I've been forgiven. Baloney you have. You will never be forgiven for anything, ever. I promise you. The Creator is not going to forgive you for anything because the Creator never judged you for anything. There is no such game in town. That's all made up by minds locked into their own seemingly unresolvable hostility and fear, unwilling to be responsible for themselves and turning away from the healing process. There's a great passage in the Scriptures where there are a number of disciples around Yeshua And they say, well, what do we need to do to please God? Like, it's about pleasing God. And Yeshua tells them, 
exactly what the work is to be done. And literally half of the disciples that were there go into such an uproar that, well, actually, they mumble, they moan to Yeshua when he tells them what they have to do. Too hard a saying. And they turn and they leave and they never come back. And there's such a rumble among them that he even turns to Peter and he says, are you leaving too? Are you so stuck in denial that when I tell you the work you need to do, you're going to leave? And that's sadly what most people do. When I shared this with the person I was telling you about earlier that I spoke with, she said, that sounds really, really hard. I said, no, actually, right now, without applying forgiveness and doing something about it, it's your life in this relationship with this abuse and the concern for your two little girls and their sexual safety. That's a hard way to live. It is not hard to do this work. It's actually quite easy, but it takes effort, consistent, persistent effort. But not doing it and the results that are produced are what make life hard. So we invite you to jump on board, go to your app store on your phone, and type in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, second word Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, third word forgiveness. By the time you get through the first couple of letters of that second word, you'll see a red glowing heart come up in your app options. And that's Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness app. Download it on your phone, and you're doing forgiveness work right there on your phone. You can save it to your phone, each worksheet that you do. If you want to keep a record, you can save it, or you can just X out of it, and it goes back to electrons. It's gone the app is specifically designed to be totally and completely private. In fact, it only, and we did this purposely in the design, it only has one permission, and that is in order to function, it's got to be able to use the Internet signal. Otherwise, no permissions required. Because we know that people do some very deep personal private work with that app. And so it is totally, completely set up to be private. It will ask for one more permission. If you decide that you want to save a worksheet when you complete it, it will ask for permission to write to your hard drive. Other than that, there are no permissions on the app at all. Purposely done that way. The app is also designed so that if you're in the middle of doing a worksheet and you come across something that doesn't make sense to you, something that you just don't understand or you need some coaching on, then you just click a button on any page in the app and you ask your question. You hit send. 
Gene will receive it. We'll read the question on the radio show. And then we'll send you back a link to that show so you have access to the answer. And or, of course, you can call into the show five days a week from 1 till 2 o'clock. And the call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you and you have a question or thought for us, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. So if you call that number, you're listening to the show. And then if you push 1, through the magic of technology, a hand goes up in the control panel. And Jeannie will introduce you by your area code, and we'll get to have a conversation. And we'd love to hear how your worksheets are going, how the process goes. You can do actually do the live worksheet process right there on our website, whyagain.org. It's our website. You can do the worksheet live there. Go to whyagain.org, and in the upper left-hand corner, click the Start Here button. You can download the worksheets and print them, so you can do them in writing on your own. You can do them on the app. And if there's any way we can support you, the purpose of this conversation has been going on for 12 years now. Uh, Jeannie did a calculation the other day. We're up over 4,500 hours now of information that just flows exactly the way we're doing this today. And we've covered every topic you can imagine. You can go to the archives on our website. If you go to, once again, whyagain.org, there's a microphone in the middle of the page. If you click on that, you can drill down into the archives and pick a show. And then you can download it to your phone or your computer, or you can just listen to it live, or you can copy a link and send it to somebody to give them the opportunity to build the brain cells for what it is we're talking about. We appreciate it when someone introduces another to the tools, and you never know when you're going to turn somebody's life around. Probably one of the most dramatic, still to this day, uh, turnarounds that we've seen was back about... Hmm, How long ago was it we went to Hawaii? 20 years ago, I guess. And we did a series of workshops at Unity and Diamond Head. And we were going to be in the islands for another couple of weeks, so they contacted us. And you know they were quite happy with the results and said, hey, how about coming back and do something uh, before you leave? And there were, there were, the schedules just didn't match. So and this was kind of a difficult thing for us because we're now, you know, it was into February, and we had to extend our stay in Hawaii for an extra couple of weeks there in February into March. It was it was really difficult for us to do that stay, you know, in Hawaii instead of come back to winter and snow and ice and that sort of thing. But we braved, you know, we, we just braved our way through it. And, and we did a, a second week of workshops at that same center. And that week we had three different people approach us. And we don't usually do a series of workshops, and then we're back there, you know, a couple of weeks later. But we had three different people approach us that told us they were getting ready to commit suicide that Sunday when they showed up, or that week. 
that they showed up. We did a full week of workshops. And all three of them were just so delighted they were still alive. So you never know what kind of change you're going to make in somebody's life, and we're here to support those kind of changes. And we're delighted to have your listening ears as an energy receiver to bring this energy on a deeper level into the world. And, of course, if you pass it on to another set of ears, then once again, the energy, the energy impact of it is deepened and strengthened in the world. And our objective is to get that impact so strongly embedded in the world that it becomes intuitively available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. So if you like what you're hearing, if it's making sense, pass it along. The book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? We can't sell you one. It's out of print. But, you know, back, what, 1995, almost 30 years ago now that uh, that book was published, and we sold enough copies that it's still hanging around on Amazon and eBay. You can usually find used copies for a couple bucks. So if you like a physical book, you can do that. Or you're welcome to go to the website. If you go to whyagain.org, there's a picture of the book on the page. You click on the book and drill down, and you'll find links to about a dozen different languages where you can download the book free. Our objective is simply to make it available, and the objective of this show is to support those who are building the brain cells, who are learning to utilize the tools in making more and more sense of them. So delighted that you're here with us. We're a little better than halfway through the show. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, it is all quiet here. And I just looked, and, and we actually went in 2008 to Hawaii with the kids, and then we stayed and they left, and we did workshops on four different islands. Fifteen years. So, Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it, sweetie? Doesn't it, though? And we do have a hand that, that just went up. That, and that was an amazing trip. It was. So, Hi, well, let's Karen, say hello. 336. Hey, folks. Hey, young man, welcome. How do you be? What's exciting in your world? Great. Well, I'll tell you what's exciting is... Um, I was moving through a worksheet this morning, and then uh, it kind of dawned on me at just a little bit deeper level. It's like, okay, so there's a person's name on here that gets uh, uh, a mention, and uh, so that must be very significant. And it was uh, David Bohm and... uh, Sustained incoherence, and right. yes, a little definition. Yeah, definition. And then I, I googled, and then I got that free little PDF book. I sent you a copy of it, and um, searched the YouTube. Was just kind of here a little bit, but I always like to hear your lectures, your presentations. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about? the sustained incoherence and how it relates to what's going on with us? Sure. Uh, Well, David Bohm was a physicist. He actually worked with Einstein in his laboratory for some time. He worked with um, 
Oppenheimer. I don't know if you've seen that film. It came out recently. It was pretty pretty good, pretty well done. But he worked with Oppenheimer, and he actually did some of the math. As a student, he did some of the math that enabled him to build the atomic bomb, not necessarily a contribution to the world, but certainly a, a genius mind. And he also worked in the arena, not only of physics, but of psychology. And his assessment of the problem with humanity is that we think in certain ways that cause or create problems in our lives. We then refuse to be responsible for those problems. We live in blame. And we keep thinking the same types of thoughts. And he calls that, from a physics point of view, sustained incoherence. So an incoherent energy is an energy that doesn't support the energy system that we're looking at. Let's let's say we're sitting in the front room and we're watching TV, enjoying, you know, we've got the antenna up there on the roof and we're enjoying this TV show. And a buddy comes over and drives in the driveway and his car is poorly tuned. Now, a poorly tuned car puts off energy signals that are just random, meaningless noise or incoherence relative to the TV. So incoherent there would be uh, an equivalent in Aramaic of the word sin. It's off the mark. It's an energy that doesn't support wholeness. And the alternative that David Bohm came up with to sustain incoherent, and although the regulatory speech isn't so great, he talked about unbroken wholeness, that in truth, there's only one of us, that we're all connected, and that our oneness or our wholeness is unbroken. And it is incoherent energies, energies that don't support the integrated state that we're in, that destroy. And so he coined that phrase, sustained into coherence, to represent someone who keeps doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So that's my best understanding of David Bohm's uh, sustained coherence. And, and actually, there are several videos you can watch of, uh, of David Bohm on, uh, on YouTube some interesting stuff. It's been a while since I've looked at any of his material, but he's out there. The booklet that you sent me is based in what? What was the booklet about? I'm trying to remember the title. I can't remember. I'm driving to so I won't be able to look it up. Oh, but, okay. Uh, it, it no was, problem. Uh, well, well, I don't remember what book. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, one of the things that he mentioned in that book, the booklet real early in it, I thought was was very um, interesting, is that he commented on the word thought. And he says, thought is actually past tense. Does this, like, already happened? And I thought, oh, yeah, that's right on with what we're uh, working with here. And that uh, uh, this reality that I create with my thoughts are coming from, the past tense, and then Dispenza, his stuff that I've been looking at 
in relation to this, too, is that, you know, what most people call thinking, you've expanded on that before, too, is not really thinking. It's just an automatic response. I was Rest sharing it with thought. one of the fellows I'm working with. And I said, you know, your body just learns. And I use the analogy to be like to drive this little scooter. I said, you can drive that scooter without even thinking about it. You don't really think. And at that point, your body is controlling, I mean, your mind, excuse me, your body is controlling your mind. It's, it's driving the vehicle. And he really got it. He was like, oh. Yeah, because he's on automatic pilot. I said, well, that happens with right. these other situations and things that we just do and they become, quote, unquote, habit. So then that is something that's just an automatic response and we're not really thinking anymore. And it, thinking, who was it that said thinking is one of the hardest things to do or something like that? There's a couple of guys who quoted, put that quote out. I can't remember the one I'm trying to refer to right now, but you, you know what I'm saying. You probably know it. Yeah. One of the other things that Boom said about thinking is what most people call thinking is simply rearranging their prejudices. I believe it was Boom that said that. Is what? Rearranging, rearranging their, their prejudices. prejudices. Yeah. Oh, oh good. I think it was. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, my favorite you know, tongue-in-cheek line that I've come up with on that one is if most people said what they thought, they'd be speechless. Because thinking is not a process of resonance in the mind. If I say, don't think about the color of your car, and then I say, well, what do you think about it? Everybody says, well, the color of my car. It's like, are you sure that because I set up a frequency with this little flap of skin in my throat that caused your eardrum to move, that caused an electrical signal in your brain, you, you're sure that because there's something moving in your mind that's thinking? It's like, no, it's just re it's resonance. It's nothing but energy exchange. Thinking, my, my take, the best definition I've been able to come up with yet of thinking is that thinking is the ability to hold love conscious, active, and present in our minds no matter what moves there. And Which in the, mind, the world of the ego, there's always a cheap copy of everything that's real in the spiritual dimension. And the cheap copy of thinking is resonance. But if I'm a thinker and, the, and, and thinkers become genius, why? Because if they are, can think, if they hold love present in their minds, whatever's moving in their lives and their bodies and in their minds, that's false. In the presence of love, it dissolves. And the only thing left is the truth. And when people can bring forward the truth, they go, oh, look at that genius. It's really not genius. It's just the obvious. When love is present in a mind, hostility, fear, corrupt data moves. The corrupt data dissolves. It's automatically and instantly forgiven, and the only thing left is the truth. How's that work with your breath? Beautifully, and it brought up a, a, a memory there with Gene Jenlin's work that I've been uh, getting into and the focusing and what he he talks about. He added a, a little uh, uh, word that he said, fresh. He says it, it opens the space 
for a fresh idea, which would be an original or thing, you know, a, a new thought. So when you're exactly. in that space, or you're at the, uh, you're in the creative moment of everything. You know, you're right there in the, the point of creation. But we're living in actuality at that moment rather than in realities generated by the mind. And realities generated by the oh, mind are one. nothing but reflections of past content. Yeah, now, you know, that I think that's, that's two concepts that I just can't hear enough. It's on the actuality and the reality, because uh, it feels like my mind wants to confuse and shuffle those around. Uh, expand on yeah. actuality uh, for me, would you? Obfuscation is one of the tricks of the non-being mind. Is to just confuse it and make it so that nobody can understand it. So, uh, let, let's use a compare. Let's kind of think about a chart, a comparison chart. So here I am in a in a room in my house, and there's a fan, and there's a vent for the heating and air conditioning, and there's a television set. And, there's some art on the wall, and there's a mirror. There's some speakers, some DVDs. Imagine that a bacterium comes in the room, and I put the bacterium right on the center, in, on a, a pole in the center of the room, and the bacterium has the ability to look all around the room and understand what's going on in the room. What do you suppose the mind of the bacterium sees, experiences, and understands about art, mirrors, TVs, speakers, fans. We suppose that bacterium experiences looking around. It's got, it has a full view of the room just like my eyes do. What do you suppose goes on in the bacterium's mind? Of course, there's not going to be... Confusion. <laughs> it's like, well, you know. Then let's imagine we take the bacterium off the tip of the stick that's there, and I put a fly on it. Now, here's this creature with these compound eyes, and it looks around, and it has the opportunity to experience and understand a TV set and art and a phone and a light and a... <laughs> fan what do you suppose well what happens in the mind of the fly well I'm in the room and the fly goes for infrared so what does it see what does it think about does it go oh I wonder what's showing on TV tonight no no perceptual construct that can even resemble what you and I would be doing in the room so to me, you know, when we realize that there's this thing called actuality, and and it's been estimated, you know, the, the Harvard research we've talked about before, the most quoted research in psychological history, literally goes back to the 50s, where they said they showed that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells were firing, 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity happening in a human brain, and in that time frame the max amount of data that could go into conscious awareness was nine bits. Little tiny, tiny, tiny piece. 
is all that that individual could be aware of out of the firing of 10,000 units of electrical activity in the mind. Nine bits of electrical activity get into conscious awareness. And then it's been estimated that in that same time frame where the reality is made of nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing, that perhaps the actuality, what's actually going on in the room, consists of some 20 trillion bits of data. So when you think about the human mind, or the fly's mind, or the bacterium's mind, what we have is a reducing valve that takes the energetic dynamic, the actuality, and reduces it to symbols that are useful for survival, like the fly gets the warm, the uh, infrared heat, goes to the blood and eats and survives. Well, my offering would be that every reality that your mind or my mind or any human mind has ever made up creates a set of symbols. Of course, Miracles talks about you live by symbols. Each one you give a meaning. And there's symbols not of actuality, but of what it is that will give us the ability at our stage of development to survive. And my take is the fact that, you know, I don't know if you've been watching any of this stuff on YouTube or whatever on the Internet about this new telescope that they just recently put out into space and is is showing that things, you know, that were, you know, un, unfathomable quantity of spaces out there that our estimates were like child's play and it's it's a multiple multiple times what our greatest mental multiple could possibly be made of. You know, like it's so huge. And my take is the fact that we're able to create an instrument that can tell us that means that we we as human beings, not necessarily the instrument of the body-mind, but we as human beings are designed to be able to comprehend and work within that. And that the first order of business to be able to comprehend and work within what this whole actuality is, is we've got to give up the survival mode that keeps us into all kinds of hostility, fear, protection, and survival. And to develop the ability to start to work within the actuality. And if we look at the great ones that have gone before us, they're the ones that opened the curtain and said, hey, there's a different game in town. And most people are still playing the survival game. Dog eat dog. They are card-carrying members of the one world religion to blame. When they are in some sort of pain or turmoil or trauma, their only thought is about the object of the attention 
of whoever they were sharing that pain and turmoil and trauma with, they don't walk away from a conflict situation saying to themselves, wow, what's going on in me that I was feeling that? What's that a symbol of? What do I need to work on inside of me? They walk away with, well, look what Harry did to me. Boy, he did it again, just like, well, that guy Bill did and the way Hortense did, remember, 20 years ago? And, and, and so they're just locked in that survival mode when there's literally a whole creation to be appreciated and experienced, and what are we really capable of if we give this survival garbage up? And if we live in sustained incoherence, we give truth up. And we're here for something more, would be my take. What happens when we have an instrument that is freed from all survival, all hostility, all fear, and literally is the space where our created essence as love incarnates, expresses fully, and fuels every cell in the structure? What do you suppose we start to comprehend when we do that? What do you suppose the game gets to be about at that stage? And to quote an old saying, it sure doesn't taste like tomato juice. (laughs) (laughs) The past. The past in the mind of man. There's an interesting passage when when Yeshua comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter's there and Peter's going to save him from the high priest and he goes after the high priest servant's head you know he's going to take his head off to protect Yeshua and and at that point and to me this is relative to our whole conversation at that point Yeshua addresses Peter directly as Satan and he says get thee behind me Satan And then he tells the world what that means in Aramaic. He says, for you think in the mind of man rather than the plan of God. We would say to the bacterium, you're thinking in the mind of a bacterium and you have this whole room available. We'd say to the fly, you're thinking with the mind of a fly and you have this whole room available. We'd speak to a human, you're thinking with the mind of survival of a human when you have a whole creation to express and enjoy and appreciate. And you have the breath of life. And what an awesome gift that is. And most people cut themselves off even from the very breath because they're so holding back the energy flow so they don't get to experience what's inside of them that they don't want to face, that they don't want to deal with, that they don't want, they want to have resolved, but they don't want to resolve it. Is that kind of going in the direction you're thinking of, Terry? Exactly. Well, I'm with you. That's where the work is. That's really... And that's the, for me, just 
turning my attention toward thoughts like that it can lift me above any mundane problem I may be having at the moment. Yeah. The, the concept and the idea of, of who and what we are. And it inspires, too, for me to to pull down another sheet and see what happens next. And breathe. One of the things that uh, I've come to appreciate so much is just when stuff is moving to get quiet and just breathe. Jeannie and I were watching a movie the other night, and uh, I'm not remembering the, the name of it at the moment, but there was just, it's like a set in medieval England or somewhere and and one of the overlords running the show just with wanton disregard ignores anybody and everybody's experience in life due his to his own greed and watching I mean it was very graphic what he was willing to do to people just to to gain another penny in his pocket. And I found myself a couple of times holding my breath and, you know, just quickly breathing and, and doing forgiveness around what this film was showing me that aroused such indignation and vengeance in me. Like, you know, that anybody could could just be so calculating and so vicious as to do that to other people. Masses of people. And as I looked at what my goal was there for decency and I canceled it, instantly opened a space for, actually there were two really deep process places as I'm watching this movie in handling and moving out that vengeance energy for me personally. That's one of the gifts that comes from uh, from watching films that resonate things that, that we need to deal with, that need to be forgiven. And just gently opening and softening the breath into those spaces inside ourselves that hold the hidden energies that when resonated tend to take over the mind, take over sanity, take over possibility, and throw us right back into generational patterns that are insane. So so joining you in doing those worksheets and breathing. Breathing with you. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, my friend. You have a blessed one. Appreciate you. Okay. Talk soon. All right. Take care. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. The world needs it, and you're qualified to give it, so go for it. Blessings. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the First Century Aramaic Internal Process of Forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.